Well, in case you forgot, or you happen to be visiting for the first time today, we are in the book of 1 Peter. And we left off someplace in 1 Peter, but uh, we're in 1 Peter chapter 3. So let's stand for just a moment, if you can. Uh, we'll uh, just read a couple of verses to you this morning as we get back into the study of God's word and continue in our exposition of the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3, we are actually in verses... 13 through 17 today. So 13 through 17. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. And do not fear their intimidation. And do not be troubled. But... Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence, and keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better if God should will it so, that you should suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. Let's pray. Our Father in God, we do delight in coming here this morning. <clears throat> we delight to sing as we have, to give, Thank you for the fellowship that we've had, one with another already, and with you. And we pray as we come to the word of God, help us to be reminded that this is really our spiritual food. That it is the authority of the word of God that we need to go to, even in the subject matter this morning. <clears throat> I pray, Father, that we would let the scriptures dwell in us richly, so that, Father, we might understand your will, and by your grace and strength and the Holy Spirit's leading might be able to live it. Thank you for this opportunity to continue our study of 1 Peter and pray for your guidance now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I've entitled this morning's message, A Lesson in Evangelism. A Lesson in Evangelism. And I'll be talking more about evangelism in just a moment. But we have had a break from 1 Peter. I'm not going to review the entire three chapters with you to date, but we do need to understand the context of what is going on in our text in verses 13 through 17. For those of you that have been with us in the study of 1 Peter, you realize that Peter is writing to encourage believers. That's his goal. He wants to encourage believers who were suffering, suffering. They were, they were involved in suffering, some of them physically, some of them even mentally. And they were facing persecution. They were facing persecution from a government who had no toleration for anything that would go contrary to what they wanted. And in trying to encourage the believers, we have learned that he's trying to tell them how to live. How do you live as a citizen of heaven? Because as a believer, and that is true of us today, if you belong to Christ, this is not your home. 
Now, yes, we live here physically. But our home is in heaven. And that's where our citizenship is. And that's what we're looking forward to. And yet, God has put us on this planet, and we are living here for Christ. How do we do that? In specific relationships. And that's what he's been teaching them. He's been teaching them as husband and wives. He's been teaching them how to respond to the government. He's been teaching them how to respond as a slave or how to respond in an employer-employee relationship. How do you live for Christ on earth in those circumstances? And basically, what we've learned together so far in real summation is we had to model Christ. Christ was our example. Christ was the example we saw in chapter 2 as he went, and he was accused of all kinds of things, he suffered persecution, he was abused, and yet as a lamb to the slaughter, he opened not his mouth and he behaved in such a way that his life was a testimony for the true and living God. He also has encouraged believers to continue on, listen carefully here, with good works. Now, good works do not bring us to heaven. That is totally contrary to religion. All of religion tries to come up with some type of method by which man's goodness will get him to heaven. And it boils down to a system of good works. No one is saved by good works. No one. It is by faith in Christ and Christ alone. By faith alone in Christ alone. Okay, but yet as believers we are called to good works as a result of the salvation we sang a song this morning that reminded me, and I shared that with you, of Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. We don't have condemnation. And praise God for the forgiveness of sins. He's forgiven us for all of our sin, no matter what it is. Once we've placed our faith in Christ, it's covered. It's atoned for. The substitutionary sacrifice is taking care of it. But because of that, we are now called to good works. What will result? That's where he's going now. What will result if, as a citizen of heaven, we live on this earth the way we should? We live modeled after Christ, living in all the different relationships the way that we should, loving Christ, loving our neighbor, if you will, and performing good works. What will be the result, basically? Well, there's a couple of things we've learned. We learned that you still may suffer persecution, even in our text. You may still suffer persecution. However, we will see even in our text today, you probably will not suffer if you are behaving right. And we will refer to some other texts. If you are living the way you should be, <coughs> excuse me, as an employee, or, if you are the boss, as an employer, if you are living the way you should toward government, the way Christ would have us, if you are living the way you should in your marital relationship, you probably will not suffer persecution. You may, but you, in all likelihood, would not. But the point of emphasis for this morning, and I want to go into, is the third one. And that is, even if you do suffer, and even if you don't suffer, something should happen. 
What is that? You will have an opportunity to present the gospel. What will happen is true biblical evangelism will take place. Now listen carefully. When we get on the topic of evangelism, what I'm about to say will not be popular, I don't believe. In fact, if I was at some churches and I'm about to preach the message that I am, that I would never, ever, ever be invited back, and that's fine with me. Why? Evangelism is a hot topic, and a hot topic today as you observe churches. In fact, I believe, as I take a look at Christianity as a whole, in many cases, it becomes the number one focus of a church. The concept of how can we get people saved? How can we, what can we do, and it doesn't matter. Let's just do anything we get be to, to get people saved because the most important thing is the salvation of souls. Really? Now, salvation of souls, and I'll comment on that in a moment, is a very important. And I thank God by his grace I got saved. But is that really to be the emphasis of our entire ministry? It is seen, certainly today, in any reading that you do, even casual reading, you will find out that the emphasis among Christianity is on evangelism versus doctrine. Well, and I've even had pastors say that. I don't deal with those issues in my church. I just preach the gospel. I just want people saved. I don't worry about talking about Subjects as husbands and wives and marriage and I don't want to deal with issues that can cause separation and I don't want to deal with issues that can really cause employer-employee relationships and starting to judge whether or not this is right or that's right. We don't teach that in our church. We just preach the gospel and the whole emphasis is on we want people saved. In fact, let me just take Fellowship Bible Church. We have in this church... Over my 36 years here as the church, it's amazing I'm still here, but 36 years in the church, several times I have taught it myself, have had classes on how to evangelize. In fact, I will tell you very recently, in the last few years, going back maybe five, six, eight at the most, we had a number of people that came to the Board of Elders and said we don't have enough evangelism going on in this church. We need to have some classes and teach that and get involved. And we get behind them and said, fine, go and teach. And by the way, the people that wanted to teach the class left the church. They did. But they wanted to teach these classes on evangelism and basically never took people out to evangelize, but taught them all the methods that are supposed to be going on. And we've had that over and over again. We've had classes on evangelism, teach people how to evangelize. There are many books, if you go into Christian bookstores, and there aren't many of them left, by the way. Everything's online today. However, if you were to look at what is available, there are so much material on how to evangelize. Energy is absolutely poured into evangelization in most churches so that it doesn't matter what we do, do anything you can simply to get people saved. Entertain them. If entertainment is going to bring in the unsaved, entertain them. 
If you need more programs, program them to death. Just come up with some programs, and the idea is get the people in, and let's minister to the unsaved. Methodology is not the concern. They're not concerned whether or not something should be biblically done this way or not done this way. The idea is just do whatever you can to get them saved. In fact, I don't know if you've had this experience. I have. Sometimes you're to the point of you're feeling guilty. What do you mean? Because I'm not witnessing. Because I'm not going out. I, you know, I, I can't say that I brought 15 people to church. And I can't say, you know, I hear these people, oh, I had this message and 100 people got saved. How many get saved in your church Sunday? Uh, one? None? And you start to feel guilty. What's going on? What am I doing wrong? It's true. We do that even individually. You know, I've shared my testimony with this church many times. And what happens is when you first get saved, you do want to tell everybody. And I told you how I was like a little chicken with the head cut off. Literally in the Merrimack Valley, when I got saved, I drove around in my car. I didn't even know why. I remember driving down 213 saying to myself, where am I going now? Seriously. Because I just wanted my family to know about salvation. And I just couldn't get enough of it telling people. And I know, you know the, that feeling. And then all of a sudden it disappears in time. And then you go on these guilt trips about, well, I guess I'm just not evangelizing enough. I'm not doing enough. There are campaigns. There are meetings. There are special speakers that are brought in to basically stir up the people. And emotions go very high. <coughs> and... And there's all this excitement about these people that are getting saved. And then you say, where are they? I heard about a campaign. Thousands of people got saved. I have literally at one time, this goes back a few years, but started to keep the statistics on how many people were getting saved at all of these campaigns throughout the world. And it started to find out that more people got saved than there are in the population of the world because of all these campaigns. The shallowness of the presentation of the gospel becomes so shallow, listen, that we even can't even explain to a child what's going on if we're honest. Just accept Jesus into your heart. How, how, how do I, what? How do I get him in there? And, and we're just leaving them shallow. The idea is just ask Jesus. Doesn't matter what else is going on in your life, just ask Jesus to come into your life. Or there's a raise of hands. And you talk about guilt trips, I happen to know this as a fact, that some of our students went to one of the colleges, and because I had the student come back and talk to me, because they were told basically they should leave this church, meaning this church. Why? Because they believed that any church that did not have an invitation was not a church that you should be in. That unless people raised their hand and came forward, you shouldn't even be in that church, because that's not evangelizing. That, those are realities, folks. Those are realities. Now, what is Pastor Dan saying? That we shouldn't have classes? That uh, we shouldn't uh, evangelize? That we shouldn't raise, have a raise of hands? That it's not believing on the Lord Jesus Christ? Not at all. But I think you'll find with evangelism today that the emphasis seems to be on just getting at all costs people saved, presenting the gospel, and there's no concern for doctrine whatsoever because that can disrupt someone's life. It can cause some problems. It does cause problems for me. Just get people saved. That's the number one priority. It seems to me that in our day and age, 
there's so much emphasis on evangelism and so little emphasis on how a Christian is supposed to be living for Christ. Which seems to be, in my opinion, the emphasis of the scriptures. How to live for Christ. In fact, I believe there's such an emphasis on evangelism and such an emphasis in the opposite direction rather than doctrine is look at, I want you to blend in. I talked to the pastor one time, and that's what he said. I want to look just like anybody else in the street, and I want them to look at that, and I want them to be that way just so I can evangelize. Really? You want to act like the world so you can win them? By the way, we don't win anybody. Christ builds his church. Am I saying that it's not important? No. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, I want you to understand this. What is the evidence of salvation? The confession is made with the mouth and believed on in the heart. So we should be confessing Christ. I'm not saying that we shouldn't. In fact, people quote Mark 16, verse 15 all the time. We ought to preach the gospel to every creature. Yes, it is important. And yes, we ought to preach the gospel. And yes, evangelism is very important. I want you to understand that I'm saying that. But I don't believe that it's the way that our day and age is presenting it. I don't. I think our text helps us a lot. Why? Because the scriptures in our text, I believe, teaches us clearly that the best, in my personal opinion, the scriptures teach very clearly that the best way to evangelize is what's called lifestyle evangelism. That should be more the norm. What do you mean? Listen carefully. I believe it's the responsibility of every preacher, not just myself, to expound the word of God. It is my responsibility to tell you in practical terms what this book means so that you and I can go out and live it. And then as we live it, to be ready to tell them why we're living that way. To be ready to tell them what it is that's the hope that's in my heart. To be ready to proclaim the gospel. It isn't to take this book and to put it aside and just go around telling everybody you need to get saved. As important as that is. In fact, if you look at the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to get to our text. This is just foundational. If you look at the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what you find. Never a man taught like that man. He teaches with authority. Not like the, not like the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I didn't come to destroy the word of God. I came to fulfill it. Jesus Christ came, and if you look at every instance, what was he doing? He was expounding the word of God, but he was always ready to tell the people also how to have a right relationship with God. The apostles were the same way. Our forefathers were the same way. 
They came to know the Lord Jesus Christ and it absolutely changed them. It did what the scriptures say. They became a new creation, a new creature in Christ, and it affected their lives to live holy lives for the glory of God in the midst of a crooked and perverse world. And people wanted to know why they lived that way. And then they told them. Jesus Christ was looked at because of how he lived and because of what he taught. Because he didn't teach what the world taught. He didn't even teach, listen carefully, what the religious leaders taught. The religious leaders were just looking for an overthrow of government and comfortableness. He taught them what truly brought salvation. People looked at what he said, they saw what he did, and they said, never a man spoke like this man. It was through the foolishness of preaching. Go with me to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want you to see this. We do need the word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'll go to back to verse 20. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the de debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? The answer is obviously yes. Why? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. Man will never come to know God through man's wisdom. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. What has he chosen to do? He's chosen to use the word of God. That's why you know Romans 10. Faith comes by hearing and hearing how? By the word of God. People need to have the word of God taught in its entirety. Verse upon verse. Expounded. And that's why Paul could say, I haven't shunned from my responsibility, but I have taught you the whole counsel of God. And if we're going to live in a world that's going to persecute believers, and if we're going to live in a world in which we don't get along, we have to know how to live. And I wanted you to see Acts chapter 26 this morning that I read already for this reason. You'll notice that Paul had an opportunity to defend himself, but he did it with respect. He did it with honor. He behaved properly, even though he was being persecuted. And it gave him opportunity. And that brings us to our text. It's a great lesson of an evangelism. He doesn't call for a meeting. He doesn't say to them, look it, don't worry about what's going on. Don't worry about how you live. Just blend in with the world. Don't worry about it and just preach the gospel. This is what he says. Let's go into our text. Beginning in verse 13. 13 and 14, he first says this, you better be sure you're suffering for the right reasons. That's the way I'll put it. He says, who is there will harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? That's a pretty rhetorical question. In other words, if you're living the way you should, this is practical. If you're doing your job at work, you know, there's some that say, you know, I got fired from my job. Why did you get fired? Well, they didn't like me preaching the gospel. 
When were you preaching the gospel? Well, I was supposed to be working on the machine, but uh, I, I was over here doing this. Well, I was supposed to be delivering the mail, but I didn't have time for that because I was witnessing. You're being paid to do a job. You'll get your opportunities to witness. What about as a husband and wife? Well, you know, I don't have time to be home and I don't have time to love my wife because I'm preaching the gospel. Really. What you need to do is do what's right. If you're living the way you should be living, and that's what he's been teaching through these chapters. You don't think that's true? Turn with me to Romans 13. Listen. It's pretty practical. Romans 13. Uh, let me go back to verse 1. It says, every person is to be sub in subjection to the governing authorities. That's for us today, folks. This is tax season. I just filled out my taxes because hey, what else are you going to do in the snow? Okay? But I just I haven't sent them in yet, but I filled it out. Okay? Why? Because I'm responsible to fill out my taxes. I know there's some Christians that say, no, no, I won't, but they get no right to do that. But I don't know. The scriptures say we ought to be submissive to the governing authorities. For there is no, watch this, there is no authority except from God. God's allowed them to be in charge. Though, uh, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. That's pretty strong language. In other words, God's given us those authorities over us. Now watch this. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Why? Verse 3. For rulers are not a cause for fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to not fear the authority? Do what's good, and you will have the praise of the same. That is practically what's being said in Peter. What he's saying is if you're living the way you should be living, you're paying your taxes, you're being submissive to the government, it's not likely that they are going to come after you. They will come after those who are resisting the laws, who are breaking the laws. Very rarely, if you're going 65 miles an hour, are you going to get stopped by a policeman. You go 85, you might get stopped. Why? You deserve to get stopped. So do I. You're going too fast. Plain and simple. Right? You're going to be in trouble if you don't believe in ordinances. Yeah, I'm just going to do this to my house, do that to my house. I don't care with the, whether or not I have to get a permit or whatever. And then you get in trouble. Why? You didn't think you had to be, you were above the law or something like that. But if we behave right, that's what he's saying back in 1 Peter chapter 3. Who's going to harm you if you're living for what's right? In likelihood, not many. But then he says this, but even if you do suffer or should suffer, for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. What's he saying? If you suffer, it is highly unlikely. This is a fourth class condition here. It's not likely that you're going to suffer, but if you do, he's saying, because it's possible. The point is, we are still to commit ourselves to the Lord. And he says to be zealous for good works. It's a play on words really there. He says, should you suffer, you're blessed. By whom? God. And do not fear the intimidation and do not be troubled. We should be a person that's filled with zealousness for good works. That's why. And it's actually interesting because of the word zealot meant a lot to them. They were people who would stand up. These were Jews who wanted to be freed from the government of Rome. And his zealots, they, Simon, Simon, by the way, he was known as that, Simon the Zealot. 
and he, would, he just believed that they were going to overthrow the government, and that's where everything was going to be. And he would die for that cause. If we are zealous for good works and living in society, and we're known for doing what's right, it's not likely that we'll suffer. But if we do, where does the favor come from? It says, you'll be blessed. The favor comes from God. Go to chapter 5 for a minute in 1 Peter. We'll eventually see this. Look at verse 10. It says, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to this, what? To his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Where does the blessing come from? God. Even if we suffer, it's okay. So he's coming right back to that practical thing he's been teaching. If you're living the right way, doing what you're supposed to be doing as he's been teaching, and you're living as a citizen in this world, as a citizen of heaven, behaving with a holy life and a life that's pleasing to God, it's not likely that you're going to suffer. But if you suffer, you are suffering now for righteousness. Don't worry about it. To be very practical, right from the pulpit. To be very practical, like I talked in Sunday school uh, Christian growth class this morning. Listen, God created man in six days, male and female. He created he them. And God brought a man to a woman and a woman to a man for marriage. That's biblical. If I suffer because I'm teaching biblically the truth, so be it. I'm not going to go the way the world wants to go with that. But it's not likely that you're going to suffer if you teach right. And why? What's the whole purpose of living the right way? So that you can make a defense. And this is introducing us into evangelism. Verse 15. He says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone, watch this, who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. And then he tells you to do it kindly because he says with gentleness and reverence. What is the whole point here? This idea of defense is where we get our word apologetics from. That's what Paul was doing in Acts chapter 26. He was giving a defense. It is the idea of defending yourself in a court of law. We understand that, right? In Massachusetts, there's a lot of court cases going on. That's what apologetics is. It's able to stand up and give a defense for what you believe and give a defense for what you think is right. And you present your case. Go with me to Philippians. You'll see the use of the word again. Philippians chapter 1. Watch. Philippians chapter 1 for a minute. In Philippians chapter 1, it's an interesting passage. Um, I'm going to go back to verse 12. I really want verse 16 because that's where the word's used, but I'm going to go back to verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Have you got that? Listen. Listen to that. Paul says, look, I'm in prison, and you know what? The gospel's advancing. See that? Why? Because he was having evangelistic classes in prison. No. He was there because he was living for Christ. And he was there ready to even talk to the soldiers. 
who would ask. Now let's go on. So that my imprisonment, verse 13, is in the cause of Christ, he was there for the right reasons, has become well known through the whole Praetorian Guard. And to everyone else, they knew he was different. You saw the case today in 26. We can't, it was just like with the Lord, right? What happened with Pilate? I can't, I can't find anything against him. He's a righteous man referring to, to Jesus Christ. And yet he got crucified. Part of God's plan. Paul was in prison. He was doing what was right. He was there. Now the whole Praetorian God knew. This guy doesn't deserve it. But he was there and he was ready to teach. Let's go on. And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak what? The word of God without fear. They didn't fear because they now saw God's protection and they saw what God was doing in Paul's life. Let's go on. Some, to be sure, were preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some of goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed to the defense of the gospel. There's the word. What is he to do? He's to defend the gospel. Paul went and he taught from synagogue to synagogue and taught, and and taught them all the counsel of God and it included the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was ready to defend that. Let me ask you this morning, are you ready to defend? We talk about evangelism. Are you ready to defend? Why was Paul ready to defend? Why was Jesus Christ ready to talk about his father? Why were the apostles ready to teach the gospel? You know why? Go back to your text in 1 Peter. Because other people were asking because of the way they lived. Because of the way they lived. They lived holy lives that were separated unto the God that they said they believed in. Let me really home in. When is the last time somebody at work asked you the hope that you have? When is the last time a neighbor looked at your life and said, there's something different? Why is it? When is the last time in a situation? I will share with you that the times that I've had opportunity to witness to other referees haven't been because when I'm running down the court with a whistle in my mouth, I'm preaching the gospel. It's because when I got sworn at and people went up and down my back, I didn't react the way some other referees did. And they would turn around and say, well, why? You go to church, that why? What is it? And that should be true in our lives. We should have people, if we're living for Christ the way we should, I believe the best type of evangelism is that we not only know the Lord, but now we're living for him. And other people see it. And then they're going to ask you, what's that hope? Isn't that what it says? Look at verse 15. It says, be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you and give an account for the hope that is in you. What an opportunity. And they'll come. I've had some. 
I've shared this to my own embarrassment, but it's true. Maybe you've had it happen to you. God opens up the opportunities, and I've shared that I went to a local, time, a local pizza place one time, and I was getting pizza for my family, and I had on a Fellowship Christian Academy jacket. And this guy was asking me the hope, and I wouldn't even, I wasn't ready. What's that school? Fellowship Christian Academy. Is my pizza ready yet? This is a true story. Um, what do they do at that school? Oh, we teach. Is my pizza ready yet? That's a true sad story. Here the Lord was opening up an opportunity for me to talk about the hope, and I wasn't ready to witness until my pizza never came out. That's a true story. I don't know why, but it wasn't coming until I sat there and I shared that with my wife. And Where you been? I said, like an idiot, I was being asked about something and I wouldn't give in. And the Lord wouldn't bring the pizza out until I took the opportunity. Folks, our lives, our lives, and I will get into more depth next week as we, we analyze this passage. Because there's things that we need to do so that we are ready. But listen, if we're living for Christ in our relationships, one with another the way we should be, people are going to ask, why are you different? Why did you handle that in your home that way? Why are you raising your children that way? How is it that you can love a husband like that? How is it that you can love a wife that's being like that to you? How is it that when your employer is doing that, you can respond the way you did? It's because of hope, and now the door's there. Now you should be ready to talk to them about Christ. Now you want to tell them. Isn't that what happened on Pentecost? It really is. Everybody was excited. Yeah, they were speaking in tongues, and the whole evangelistic community today focuses in on the tongues. You missed the whole point. The Spirit of God was working in such a way that the people came and said, what's going on? And Peter, the denier, stood up and said, I'll tell you what's going on. And he went right back through the scriptures. You know this David that talked about the Lord Jesus Christ coming? And you know about the prophet? Oh, yeah, I know about that. It's Jesus Christ, the one that you crucified. And gave him the gospel. Because they saw what was going on in the church. And it should be that as people see in our lives, the best part of evangelism, folks, is that we are living for Christ and we're ready to make a defense. And as I said, I got about five or six points right out of this passage that we'll deal with next week that show us how we can be ready. Evangelism, should we be ready to preach? Yes. Should there be an emphasis on evangelism and getting the gospel out? Of course. But how's that going to happen? It's going to happen when people see that it's real in you. Do you know what, the, what is going on in the world today as they look at Christianity? You know. They're a bunch of hypocrites. That's what you're hearing. Why? They want to talk to me about Christ, and look at what they're doing. They want to talk to me about Christ, and they can't even get along. They want to talk to me about Christ. They won't even forgive one another. They want to talk to me about Christ. Look at the way he treats his boss. Look at the way she treats her husband. Look at the way the kids are. And they want to talk to me about Christ? You see, the world's not dumb. They want, when, the, when there's something different, they want to talk. And I can tell you coming out of accounting, 
I had that happen with the partner of the firm. To my knowledge, I had never preached. The I wasn't in the ministry. I was working for a CPA firm, but I took my Bible with me, and he knew a little bit about my family. And I'll never forget, I was in my office during tax season, and I took a break. The guys went out to eat. I didn't take a, I didn't go with them that night. I just wanted, to, I didn't hadn't had time to read the word, so I stayed and I was reading the Bible, and I, I closed my door. And there was a knock on the door, and it was the partner of the firm. He said, can I come in and talk to you? Sure. And it opened up a door of opportunity to share the gospel. That's what should happen in our life. And by the way, I've told you my failures too, because it doesn't always happen that way. But folks, if you get nothing else out of this, is evangelism important? Yes. Lifestyle evangelism will draw people to you so that people are going to ask. Now, they're not running down the street looking for that. But you know, Christ is building his church. And as he's building his church, and you are a living testimony for Christ, he will draw the people to you that need to hear about your testimony, that need to hear about what Christ is doing in your life, that need to hear about the hope that's in you, and you need to be ready to share the gospel. And you know what's going to happen? This is frightening. People are going to get saved, really saved, and want to live for Christ as well. So what does Peter say? Peter says, look, we'll leave with this for today. Peter says, you might suffer if you're living right, but if you do, don't worry, God will bless. But it's unlikely. But be ready. Be ready by the way you live. Be ready to give an answer for the hope. And I'll ask you to take this away with you today. As you go into the week, be ready. Be living in such a way that you're ready to share the gospel with someone that's going to ask you the hope. Oh, it may come in the form of somebody that says, what does that name mean? It may come in a different form, but if you're ready, then you're going to be ready to share the gospel of Christ because that's the true joy of your heart. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we know we're just beginning to touch the tip of the iceberg in this passage, but I pray that you'd help us, even with the concept of evangelism, to see that it is important that we share the gospel. But help us, Father, to be living the gospel. And help us to be ready. Help us to be ready so that when others notice that and they're asking us, what is the hope, what is the difference that we're able to share the glorious good news about Jesus Christ? Then evangelism will be as it should be. And the Spirit of God will be doing the work that he has to do and will do. But Father, help us this week to live for Christ. Thank you for the opportunities we have with neighbors, with fellow workers, with people that we don't know on the street. All too often we're not ready, but help us to be ready because we're walking with you in the light as you are in the light. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Pick it up here, Lord willing, next week.